Listener Production. Hey there, Rihanna Patrick here. Australian authorities have served Apple, Microsoft and Meta with world-first legal orders to come clean on what they're doing to detect and report child sex abuse material or face fines of more than half a million dollars a day. Now, Australia's move will be watched internationally in the US and there's been a bit of debate over whether child security should trump privacy. In today's briefing, Antoinette speaks to filmmaker Simon Nasht about the orders, the potential implications and the cartels that prey on children online. These networks run like multinational corporations, really. They have heads of security, heads of marketing, heads of recruitment. They are multi-level organisations with tentacles all over the world. That's today's briefing. But first, Natasha Belling is here with the headlines. Thanks so much, Rihanna. The fight over Europe's energy crisis is worsening. The EU has proposed a price cap on Russian gas after President Vladimir Putin threatened to cut off all energy supplies if it took such a step. We all know that our sanctions are deeply grinding into the Russian economy, but Putin is partially buffering through fossil fuel revenues. So here the objective is we must cut Russia's revenues That's European Commissioner President Ursula von der Leyen there. And it means that Europe's sky-high gas prices will get even more expensive, adding to an already massive bill that EU governments are paying to stop their energy providers collapsing. And and Europe has accused Russia of weaponising its energy supplies, using them to retaliate against the West's sanctions imposed on Moscow over its invasion of the Ukraine. Russia in turn blames the sanctions for causing the gas supply problems, which it puts down to pipeline faults. Putin has warned contracts could be ripped up if the EU insists on price caps and that Europe risks freezing in the coming winter. Europe usually imports around 40% of its gas and 30% of its oil from Russia. And Natasha, I mean, this came out of an annual economic forum and Putin is confident that he's going to get other customers if he does end up cutting off Europe and reckons that Asia uh, will come to the party. But, you know, he's really hard on the fact that energy prices are rising and it actually puts him in this power of being able to negotiate. And this is where he could possibly win the ongoing war. We have to keep in mind, and I can't believe this, that the invasion of Ukraine by Russian authorities happened six months ago. So my heart goes out to all those Ukrainians six months in from that horrific war. But this is also my concern is Europe is heading into winter and especially the local Russians there. For them, they're facing such extraordinary uh, conditions and also skyrocketing living costs. An independent review into the board of the Reserve Bank has been launched for the first time in more than four decades. The central bank has come under fire for hiking official interest rates from 0.1% in May to 2.35% this week. It's after warnings our GDP growth could slow despite growing 0.9% in the June quarter. The drivers of this growth were still narrowly based. Uh, It was supported by some temporary factors uh, and a lot has happened since the end of June. 
Yeah, Treasurer Jim Chalmers there. And the growth is being driven by government spending, households drawing on their savings, which is now back at pre-pandemic levels. And companies like miners and rural goods making big profits. But the reason the Treasurer is being cautious is because real wages are declining and domestic private sector production is also falling. So that means house prices are coming down and businesses are dealing with shortages of labour and raw materials. And that will combine, of course, with the ongoing impact of interest rate increases, which have only been increasing, of course, since May. And so haven't at this stage had so much of an impact on this quarter, as well as our declining savings. Rhiannon, really interesting here, though, because I was speaking to someone who works in a bank and says that a lot of Australians locked in their mortgages at 1.99% when those great fixed rates were around. And very shortly, their mortgage repayments will actually double. And that's a huge amount of money Mm. to find in the weekly budget when you're also dealing with increasing costs with childcare, your grocery bills, and of course, gas and electricity bills. Yeah, it just seems to be going up and up at the moment. A game changer in the Trump document seizure, the FBI's found top secret papers about another country's nuclear defence capabilities at the former president's mansion in Mar-a-Lago last month. Yeah, Sean Turner, the former director of communications of US National Intelligence, told CNN it is a game changer with regard to the risk it poses to America's national security. And some of those documents are so restricted that they require special clearances beyond a top secret clearance. Yeah, Mr. Trump is under investigation by the Justice Department for his unauthorised removal of highly sensitive government records from the White House and for allegedly improperly storing them at Mar-a-Lago. Trump has called the FBI and Department of Justice vicious monsters. Rena, I find this really interesting. I think, you know, he hasn't confirmed as yet. I wouldn't rule out Mr. Trump running again for the next election, but I think a lot of Trump supporters will be fired up about this investigation by the FBI. Yeah, and I think we just keep seeing this investigation unfold with more and more information coming out. And I've just learned something. There is apparently a special clearance beyond top secret clearance. So that was new to me. If you've noticed it's getting much more expensive to fly the usual routes down under, well, you're not imagining things. According to the consumer watchdog, domestic airfares have seen the biggest increase in more than a decade. And while more than 19,000 flights were delayed in July alone. The cheapest economy airfares cost 56% more in August than they did in April. And they're expected just to keep rising until at least October amid ongoing jet fuel price increases. Natasha, will you be taking your family anywhere via the air? Absolutely not. Uh, no, <laughs> it's, it was interesting during the last school holidays, they were all predicting airport chaos. And I just thought the cost of flying now is unbelievable. And most people I speak to, if they've been lucky enough to fly overseas, they've found the cost of going overseas for holidays compared to, say, pre-COVID has doubled So, you know, I know the airports have promised they're getting things back on track and it should be easier, but I just think they've got ongoing staff shortages. We've got ongoing issues with people suffering long COVID and also sick with COVID. So they've got staff shortages that cannot be repaired overnight. And no Australians are left in the US Open. Both Nick Kyrgios and Isla Tomjanovic have been knocked out of the quarterfinals. I'm just devastated, obviously. I feel like it was either winning it all or nothing at all, to be honest. I feel like I've just failed at this this event right now. 
That's Nick Kyrgios there. And, of course, Nick played a five-setter against Russian Karen Hutchinoff, taking almost four hours with one tough tie-break in the fourth set. Yeah, Kyrgios smashed two rackets after conceding defeat and he's been tipped as a potential winner of the Open after beating world number one Danil Medvedev, while Rafael Nadal has been knocked out uh, earlier in the competition. Did you see the vision of Nick smashing the racket, Rihanna? I missed it. It's extraordinary. It wasn't just one. I I think a majority of Australians like me, I have a, um, hate's a very strong word, but a love-hate relationship with Nick Kyrgios. I think He's an extraordinarily gifted tennis player. And as we saw there in the US Open this week, absolute bombshell, you know, knocking out the world number one in uh, one of those games at the US Open. But him smashing those rackets, it wasn't once, it was out of control. And a lot of young kids are watching it. I'm disliking him today. I just think it's not okay to have that type of violent behaviour on a tennis court in front of millions of uh, viewers at home and also on the tennis court. Yeah, and you'd hate to be his racket sponsor, wouldn't you? (laughs) Well, he needs a lot of them. So you could say that it's probably good (laughs) from the sponsor because they'll keep on having to supply new rackets. Thanks, Tash. Coming up, it's Child Protection Week and Antoinette is going to talk about an Australian program to keep children safe online. It's been described as the Me Too of children and teens, but advocates say not nearly enough is being done about it and it's certainly not spoken about enough. And that's the online exploitation of children and what needs to be done about it. To date, this has largely been left to tech giants to manage and self-report, but not anymore, because in a world first, Australia's e-safety commissioner has served legal orders to tech giants like Apple, Microsoft and Meta, asking them to come clean on what exactly they're doing to combat sex abuse materials online. And if they don't, they'll face fines of more than half a million dollars a day. And Simon Nash is a filmmaker. He spent five years investigating sexual predators online and what's needed to better protect children. Simon, thanks for joining us. So are we even able to measure the scale of the problem, given like the nature of the dark web and tech privacy laws? Yes, we get some idea of the scale of the problem and it's big. Um, There is a clearinghouse for reports from technology companies in the US called NICMEC, the National Centre for Missing and Exploited Children. Last year, it received reports of 29 million cases of online child sexual abuse, which to get a report like that means there had to be an image and that's reported to NICMEC and NICMEC in turn sends that out to law enforcement around the world, depending on where they think the uh, offence is occurring. So 29 million and i think it would be pretty safe to say that that is just the tip of the iceberg. So that gives you some sense of scale about what's going on. And what what surprised you the most over your years of investigating? I think um, a couple of things. Firstly, just the size of the problem. Um, I had no idea when um, I first stumbled across this story that it was so massive. Some of these dark web networks that um, police are regularly investigating these days have millions of members in hundreds of countries. And they're dedicated to two things, the abuse of children and secondly, staying undetected. So it's a very tough policing role. Secondly, I think what really staggered me was the 
organization of these networks, which are run like multinational corporations, really. They right. they have heads of security, heads of marketing, heads of recruitment. They are multi-level organizations with tentacles all over the world, and they cooperate together, and they teach each other, and they facilitate each other. And then what you're saying about how sophisticated it is, I mean, that goes against, I imagine, many people's perception that this is just, you know, some loners in their grandmother's basement being a bit pervy online. No, 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 no. The arrests that actually do take place when they come, um, these networks tend to be run by, certainly on a technical standpoint, by high-level, very technically sophisticated people. They've been members of Australia's spy agencies court. There's been um, the governor mm. of one of Australia's largest prisons has been caught. It involves lawyers, doctors, advanced students. This is, you know, the predator next door. This is not some loner in his dungeon. Mm. This is, uh, and I'm sorry to say, it's 99% men. This is, you know, our friends, our neighbours, our colleagues engaged in this activity, both at home and at work, staggeringly. Mm. About 10% of this activity takes place in the workplace. So let's talk about the scale of child Mm -hmm. sex abuse material because it is a spectrum. It's interesting because it's a technology crime, of course, or facilitated by technology, and it changes and morphs with the technology. Now, the dark web networks run by adults uh, are one thing. A very serious uh, and more recent problem is what we might loosely call sextortion, where a child is online with their smart device. They think they're talking to another 12-year-old or another 8-year-old. In fact, they're talking to an adult who is grooming them and preparing them to entrap them in uh, releasing material of themselves, doing the most ghastly things, uh, and then circulating those, those images more widely. And now we have an even more, if you think about it, really alarming problem, which scares the hell out of law enforcement because there's not much they can do about it. And that is older children abusing younger children. And that is now Mm. far from rare. That is actually quite common. So you begin to get a picture that this is kind of a a me too scale of problem, but we're just not addressing it in that way because unfortunately we find it so abhorrent that it's really difficult to talk about it. So I suppose the, the big picture here and certainly what latest moves in Australia have been is to get that conversation started because, yes, it's a technology crime, but there are some technology solutions to it as well. We'll get to your film um, in just a moment because I know you explore some of those solutions in in the film, but there has been, as you mentioned, a pretty bold move by the eSafety Commissioner in in recent days. So she's served legal orders to Apple, Microsoft and Meta, the owner of Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp, to come clean on what they're doing to combat sex abuse materials on their platforms. So how significant are these world first legal orders? The first thing, as as you say, Antoinette, is that they are world first. Um, Australia is actually a very good leader in this field. Our legislation is strong. It's not perfect, but it's strong. So the tech companies have been on warning that this might be coming. They have until now relied on a regime of self-regulation which is saying, by and large, you know, they'll look after it themselves. But the eSafety Commissioner, Julian Mangrant, has said, listen, enough of that. Show us what you're doing. Tell us what you're doing. You need to do more. And just to put it in context, just last week, European Union fined Meta 400 million US dollars for allowing Instagram to actually, it's it's standard setting for a child to be public access instead of why not just build in the safety and say the access to the child's data is private? That's the default setting. I mean, there are very simple things that these companies could do but don't do 
that would help protect children. So that's a $400 million fine. And there have been a raft of others as well in recent times. The truth is these platforms do not regulate themselves and they won't do it until they're forced to. Yeah, well, we know that Apple made the fewest reports of child exploitation of any of the tech giants last year with like 160 instances reported. But now, yeah, like, out of 29 forward. million, <laughs> yeah, it's out wild. of 29 million, and you know, and there are nearly two billion Apple devices in the world. Now, the funny thing is that you mentioned Apple. Apple last year actually tried to do something about this. They announced a kind of, you know, a half measure, if you like, which would say that their algorithms, their smart software would look for these images on the Apple cloud server, you know, where we upload all our pictures. It wouldn't have identified perpetrators or users, but it would have helped find the images. That seems a pretty straightforward thing. Who's going to disagree with that? Well, the truth is the online privacy lobby Mm. shouted that down so effectively that within one week, a giant corporation like Apple had turned tail and run away from trying to do something about the problem. And that's where it kind of gets skewed, if you like, because while privacy, of course, is an important issue, we surrender our privacy all the time, knowingly and willingly, and no one really talks about the rights to the child's privacy. So tech giants have a a huge role to play, of course, um, but so do like children and parents in terms of being better educated um, and equipped to deal with predators online and abuse. So what what are some of the suggestions that, you know, are made in your film, um, the children in the pictures? We've really got to start having proper conversations with our kids about online safety. It's as important as, you know, driving safety. Um, They need to know a few rules and the rules aren't to restrict them, but just to try and keep them safe. So we need to start by having honest conversations with our children. That's essential. The worst thing you can probably do is take the phone off the kids because Mm. they're just going to find another one, take big brothers, whatever it's going to do. That's not going to work. So firstly, have those conversations. We do need to educate ourselves a little bit about what the problem is. So, you know, there are a lot of resources online the Safety Commission's site is a really good place to start just to understand what's going on. Um, thirdly, I think we do need to actually make sure that, you know, very young kids really shouldn't be unmonitored with, with phones and, and, and iPads. If you were sitting in the police's chair where they see the results of that, parents would be horrified. It's childminding at sort of like age three and four. We've got to understand that they are being marketed to at that age online. Mm. Um, there are platforms that, you know, specifically designed to attract children. So at that stage, just don't stick it in the pram. That's not mm. a good way to start. That's asking for trouble. I think kids themselves need to be reassured that even if they can't bring up this stuff with their parents or their carers because it's, you know, they're ashamed of what they've got into or they feel trapped, or that they'll get into trouble or that their phone will be taken away from them. They need to be aware there are places that they can go online that are safe. And I think by and large as a society, we just have to have a, a much more broad conversation about this problem. Your film obviously deals with um, some pretty confronting stuff by the, ver- the very nature the, of child grooming, um, sexual predators online, and uh, that was going to limit its reach in schools. Um, talk me through that because it was initially classified as MA15+, plus, which is, I, I guess, pretty ironic yeah. given that, the yes, the subject matter is confronting, but it's happening to children far, far younger than that. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I mean, this is not for little kids, obviously, the film, but it's certainly for older students, you know, year nine and above. There's nothing in there that they don't need to know. It's not confronting on that level, visually. I mean, we spent a lot of time working 
um, not only with specialists in the field, but also with law enforcement as well, to make sure that, you know, what's the point of making a film that is so scary that no one can watch it? So we really take the position of trying to understand some of the heroes in this field, and that's really the the police that specialise in investigating these crimes. As you can imagine, it's got to be the toughest job in policing, every day being confronted with that kind of imagery. You know, so learning a bit about why they do what they do and a bit about how what they do too, because just from a sort of true crime perspective, it's a pretty amazing story about how they they infiltrate these networks and, and bring them down. Can you imagine having to be an undercover cop in one of those networks? You have to become a predator. You have to act like one, speak like one, behave like one online and convince the others that you are who you say you are. Uh, so it's a very, very tough gig. I, um, extraordinary courage it takes from them and perseverance. But they do it, you know, ask them, how can you do it? And they say, how can we not do it? That was filmmaker Simon Nasht. And his film, The Children in the Pictures, is available um, on demand, SBS On Demand now. And it's slated to run on SBS television towards the end of October. But it's so much to think about. As a mother who has... Uh, two young children. It's terrifying to think what access to all sorts of information online means. And so many parents like me would say, yes, they have their guilty of giving the iPad or the phone as a bit of a babysitter. And I did get alarmed. There was this one time when I thought I put Frozen or whatever the they were mad about at the time on YouTube and just sort of gave it to them. And only later when I looked, it was like, one of the characters in a hot tub with a Spider-Man getting frisky. And I was like, oh, I thought I was giving them, I thought I was giving them a Disney character. Um, and maybe, maybe I had in the first instance and then it rolled over to the next video and you're so busy and it's so difficult um, to keep up with what they're seeing online. So this is something for me um, as a parent that I'm certainly going to have to reflect on and start to have those uncomfortable conversations from a really young age. And that's it for today's briefing. Tomorrow, the campaign to revive the Tasmanian tiger. Listener.